Well, this morning we're supposed to be on point number three of our exercise uh, plan. But to be completely frank with you, every time I tried to return to that this morning and get fired up about it, which I'm always fired up about God's Word, but just just coming back to that to that third point, something else would, would catch my attention. And and I found I found myself going to uh, the Old Testament for for some direction and, and comfort, and that's what I'm going to share with you this morning, and and we'll pick that back up here in in a week or so. Uh, to be completely frank with you, I think this past week's probably been one of the most most bizarre experiences of my entire life, and I'm I'm not using hyperbole. I'm serious. As I've watched people react and respond to the, the, the Planned Parenthood videos, it, to me, you know, there, there's, this, there's this understanding that, that with an enlightened mind, with, with understanding the Bible, having the Spirit of God inside of you, you understand things that, that an unbeliever wouldn't. Not that you're better, it's just the reality of, of, being, of being in Christ. You you don't have a natural mind. You have a you have a spiritual mind, and the Word of God uh, um, enlightens your 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 understanding. So I, I guess when when there's such irrefutable evidence, you, you would you would just I mean I, I guess you just come to the conclusion whether you're pro-life, pro-choice, pro-anything, um, you, you couldn't conclude anything other than just 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 raw evil is you know is happening, and and yet. I mean, it's just outside of the bounds of reality. I, I found myself, I can't tell you how many conversations, whether it's with the other pastors or others, going like, what planet am I on? I mean, have you experienced that? When you, when you have absorbed the reaction of other people, it's just like, what, what, what planet am I, am I, am I living on? And, and I understand what the Scripture says about, about the, the unsaved con- condition, but, but I expected, I guess people to be silent about it. Those who couldn't defend it, they would, they would be silent. And, and yet I found the exact opposite. People are actually defending the things that, that you find on the, on the, on the videos. Um, the president, Richard Trumka of AFL-CIO, said that it's politically motivated and, and wrong, the, the videos. Um, the president of the public uh, public employees, there's over a million of them. The president of the union said that the videos are are anti-women, anti-choice extremists, stooping to do lows to attack women and access to preventive care. Now I've told you before, I don't suggest that you watch the videos, but you should at least expose yourself to the transcripts. And if you've done that, how you could even relate this to preventive care, I have I have no idea. And then beyond that, you've got, you've got Josh Ernest of the White House saying, and I'm quoting now, there's ample reason to think that this is merely the tried and true tactic that we've seen from some extremists on the right to edit this video and selectively release an edited version of that video that grossly distorts the position of the person who is actually speaking on the video. And Planned Parenthood has indicated that's what has happened here. I mean, don't miss that last part. Planned Parenthood has indicated that's what has occurred. I mean, as I said in the prayer, this this really is 
Nazi Germany stuff. And I know that's thrown around. I know Obama's a socialist and a Muslim and all that other stuff that you hear thrown around. But this, this really is Nazi Germany kind of stuff. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, in the midst of, I mean, in the, midst of, the, of, of, the, of the videos, clearly given evidence, Cecil the lion is shot by a bow hunter, right? I mean, in, Z- in Zimbabwe, and people have gone nuts over, over Cecil the lion. I mean, I told Tracy this is like the Twilight Zone. Do you, do you remember the old Twilight Zone? I mean, you've got a dentist going into hiding because he's a bow hunter and killed a lion. Now, I understand there's all kinds of reasons they lured him out and all of that stuff, but I don't know what happened there. I'm just looking at the reaction to Cecil the lion and the reaction to, to, to the dead baby parts. you got Mia Farrow publishing the guy's address and a mob showing up at the dentist's office. You've got the U.S. Fish and Game agreeing to look into him and investigate him for, you know, for for some kind of, of, of hunting crimes, movie stars calling, I mean, doing videos, calling for his arrest and his dental credentials to be removed, PETA calling for a death penalty on the guy. He ought to be hanged. I mean, it, it, it's really crazy. If that wasn't enough, are you ready for this? We actually have a message from Cecil the lion from the grave. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Self-proclaimed animal communicator Karen Anderson has claimed that she recently spoke to Cecil using unspecified methods of communication and essentially said that he's resting comfortably in lion heaven. She said her contact with Cecil, quote, moved her to tears. And she has this profound message from Cecil for you and for me and for the whole world. And now this is the message from Cecil the lion, and I'm quoting Cecil says, Let not the actions of these few men defeat us or allow darkness to enter our hearts. If we do, then we'll become one of them. Raise your vibration and allow this energy to move us forward. Take heart, my child. I am finer than ever, grander than before, as no one can take our purity, our soul, and our truth. I am here. Be strong and speak for all those others who suffer needlessly to satisfy human greed. Bright light and love, and we will rise above this. Now, did you catch that last phrase of the message from Cecil the Lion? Be strong and speak for all the others who suffer needlessly to satisfy human greed. Bring light and love, and we will rise above this. Speaking, of course, about the killing of animals and not babies in the womb. All the while, you've got the judge in California replacing a restraining order on the group that's releasing the videos. And you really have a world that's upside down, don't you? You can refuse to bake a gay wedding cake and the government will fine you $146,000, sell dead baby parts, and they'll fund you and protect you in the process. I mean, that is a world that is messed up. Cecil the lines on the front page. While the White House is agreeing into, to look into an extradition request for the bow hunting dentist, but they checked on Planned Parenthood, checked with them, and they assured us that there's no wrongdoing. 
You live in a world that says you can choose your gender, but you can't choose your sexual preference. You're born that way. And whether you're male and female, that's a choice. It's an act of the will. But sexual orientation is hardwired, and you're born that way. That is a messed up world. It's crazy. And you know, whenever you look in every single one of those things, whether it's the value of Cecil the Lion versus the value of human beings, whether it's whether you're male or female, or whether you have sexual preference, whether one's hardwired and one's not, every one of those, you go to the Scriptures and the Bible says the opposite. Now, of course, you don't needlessly. It says that, that it reveals your wicked heart if you mistreat animals. But the Bible says that human beings are created in the image of God, and they're given dominion. They're at higher rank. The Bible says that You've been made male and female with a specific distinction to bring glory to God because you bear His image and preference about your immorality or otherwise clearly is a, you know, has to do with affections, but there's the will that is in, involved there. And yet you have people just doing the Jedi mind trick on themselves when it comes to the videos. There's, there's nothing here. You see nothing here, right? Kevin DeYoung said, in a world of perpetual outrage, people can't see the difference between deflated footballs, a dead lion, and dismembered babies. And I found myself asking the question as a Christian, as a preacher, as someone who has studied the Bible. I found um, Phil Johnson saying to me, why are you surprised by this? And I found myself being surprised. And I found myself asking the question, can people really be this mad? (laughs) Not only can they, but without Christ they are. And the Bible, where I found comfort and where I found clarity, is in the 17th chapter of Jeremiah. Now, the 17th chapter of Jeremiah contains the verse about the heart being deceitful, but in the larger context, and I want to take you there this morning, because it's where I found comfort, where God explains for me, and for you, and for all of mankind, it describes the human condition, and why people really can be this upside down. But beyond that, just like God, He doesn't just tell us what's wrong with us, He gives the answer to fix it. Amen? I mean, the gospel clearly is bad news, but along with the bad news, there's good news. I mean, you can look inward. You can look in the mirror. You can lay down at night. You can look at your own thoughts. You can look at your own actions. You can look at your own attitudes, and you can conclude pretty quickly that that you're messed up. God says, not only are we messed up, but we are messed up beyond hope, beyond repair, but... The Lord Jesus Christ can make that which is crooked straight. Jeremiah chapter 17. In the middle of the book, Jeremiah was a prophet some 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And idolatry and apostasy and perverted worship is, is permeated Israel and Judah. And here in chapter 17... The prophet Jeremiah is speaking about the sin of Judah. Look at verse 1. 
He says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, and with the point of a diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. Now, whenever I was a kid, I, I used to, to, to like to take anything that I thought was a diamond, whether it was my mom's engagement ring, I'm sure much to her chagrin or anything else, and try to scratch glass with it, right? You know, is it real? And you'd see, um, you'd see uh, Bugs Bunny or whoever biting on gold in the, in the, uh, the, the cartoons, see if it's real. You know the way that you tell whether a diamond's real or not? at least that's what they say, is whether it can scratch glass. Listen to what he says. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their, of their heart. It's giving the, the description of, of their idolatry and their sin. It's, it's deeply engraved. It's, it's not something that can be easily just washed away. And on the horns of your altars, talking about their, their idolatry, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images, their children are, are going to remember their idolatry and how they took them to the, to the high places, the green trees on the high hills, and they worship these false idols. Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth and all your treasures and on your high places of sin within your borders. The high places of sin is they would go to the high mountains and they would offer worship to the false gods. And this was all within God's land, the land that was promised to His people. In verse 4, You, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you. You've forsaken the heritage of the Lord. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. I'm going to take you out of the land. You're going to be subjugated to enemies. Why? For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. Okay, that's the, that's the condition of Judah. That's their sin. Now here is the oracle from the prophet Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, and shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. So here, the first thing the Lord says is, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, looks to human beings, look to his own heart, looks to others, whose heart departs from the Lord. They don't look to the Lord, they, they look to themselves. And they're going to be like people in the desert, in a salt land which is not in heaven. Look at verse 7. Here's the, here's the, the contrast. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, in verse 5, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is Yahweh, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. This is the echo of Psalm 1, isn't it? Which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. He will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease from yielding fruit. Now why is the man cursed who trusts in man and why is the other man blessed if he trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, well, he gives the answer in verse 9. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So there is the sin of Judah. The sin is, in, is written in a pen of iron, engraved with a diamond point upon the heart. The oracle, cursed is the man who trusts a man, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the Lord gives the remedy. There's nothing worse than being betrayed, except being betrayed by someone you trust. I mean, I guess the, the, the sense of betrayal in and of itself, there has to be a level of trust that, that you give someone. And throughout history, that's, that's, that's happened. You know, the, the, as Jethro Bodine used to say, the, he was a double-knot spy. You know, there's, there's these double spies where where they pledge allegiance to one country, but they're working for another country, and they're exposed, and they're called traitors. To give someone your trust is a great risk. It's also the highest compliment. And yet in this verse, God says, Judah and us, because verse 9 is a general declaration, not just of Judah, the heart, not Judah's heart, the heart, your heart. God says that we have given our trust to someone who will undoubtedly betray us. And that's to our own hearts, ourselves. And he makes three declarations in this verse about the condition of the human heart, which actually gives the answer to the craziness that is in the world and the hope that's, that's there for, for mankind and the hope that you should be heralding. There's nothing new under the sun. And God's answer is, is found in, in Christ. And the first declaration that he makes is verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. The first declaration that God makes about the human heart, why you can't trust in man, and why you'll be blessed if you trust in the Lord, is because the heart, man's heart, is deceitful above, above all things, he says. It's, it's deceitful. The word means twisted or crooked. And the human heart is twisted and crooked. It's deceitful. Thomas Edison was concerned about the way visitors to his office helped themselves to his expensive Havana cigars. Before the Cuba embargo, obviously, Thomas Edison enjoyed Cuban cigars. And he, would, he, he wouldn't lock them up. He didn't want to be rude. So his secretary suggested that he had he have cigars made from cabbage leaves and substitute them for the, the Havana cigars. And Edison agreed. That was a great idea. And he forgot about it. And he only remembered when the Havana started vanishing again. And he asked his secretary why the bogus cigars hadn't arrived, and, and she told him that, that they had, and they'd been given to the manager, who, not knowing they were fakes had packed them up for Edison to take on his recent trip, and Edison began to laugh and said, I smoked every one of the cigars myself and, did, and didn't know the difference. Jeremiah says that the heart is, is deceitful. It can't tell the difference between Havana's and cabbage leaves in something much more significant than a nasty piece of tobacco. 
the heart is deceitful. And it's deceitful above all things. It's not just deceitful. It's deceitful above all. God says there's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. And I think how different that is from the way God made it. God didn't make the human heart deceitful above all things. But sin nature did. And after the fall of man, deceit is at the core of the human heart. It's deceitful, and it's deceitful uh, above all. We once had His heart, and now we have deceitful hearts because of, of sin. How does it deceive? Well, you could go to other passages of Scripture, and I think that you can see, if you just do a panorama of the Bible, that it deceives outwardly and it deceives inwardly. It's deceitful above all, and it deceives outwardly. Now, God doesn't just put things in the Bible for, for no reason. And one of the Ten Commandments, one of the, the commands within the Decalogue is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, think about that. Why did God put those commands there? He didn't put it there for His health. He put it there for our health, but not His. He included, Thou shalt not lie in the Bible because he knew mankind would lie. That's exactly what Jeremiah said. Have you ever been deceived by somebody? I mean, somebody that you truly trusted in, and there was genuine deceit. I found this story from church history. It's, it's 1212 A.D. It was a French shepherd boy by the name of Stephen who claimed that Jesus had appeared to him disguised as a pilgrim. And supposedly, Jesus instructed him to take a letter to the king of France. And this poor, misguided boy told everyone about what he thought he encountered. I saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to me. He appeared to me as a pilgrim. And he told me to take this letter to the king of France. It's a true story. At least, historians tell us it's a true story. I wasn't there and neither were you, so we'll take their word for it. And before long, he's got a large following of, of individuals, 30,000 children on this pilgrimage. Philip Schaff records, when they were asked where they were going, they replied, quote, We go to God and seek for the Holy Cross beyond the sea. So this shepherd boy and 30,000 students go. And they reach Marseille, but... When they did, they expected the waves to part just like it did for, for Moses in the Exodus. And that didn't happen, and they expected to go across on, on dry ground, and, and that didn't happen. And yet, there in Marseille, the children met two men, Hugo Ferrarus and William Porcus. And the men claimed to be so impressed with the calling of the children that they offered to transport them across the Mediterranean to the Holy Land in seven ships without charge. And the children boarded the ships and the journey began, but instead of setting sail for the Holy Land, they set course for North Africa. And what the children didn't know is that the two men were slave traders, and in Africa they were sold as slaves in Muslim markets that did large business in buying and selling of human beings. Few returned to France, and none of them ever reached the Holy Land. Isn't that a sad story? It's a sad story of deceit. It's a sad story also that tells you to trust in the Word of God, not in visions and dreams and other nonsense. 
but people will deceive you. But you know what's worse than other people deceiving you is that you can deceive yourself. I think that you can see in the Bible that, that the human heart deceives outwardly. We're told not to lie because we lie to people, and you can see deceit in the world. Planned Parenthood, there's nothing here to see. There's also an inward deception, self-deception. The Bible warns us about it. The verse that we read in Galatians 6 last week said, you don't want to be self-deceived. When somebody thinks that there's something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. So the Bible clearly says we deceive outwardly and we deceive inwardly. The heart is self-deceptive. Proverbs 14:12. there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of, of death. Boy, I could argue with the best of them about why this Jesus bit and religion is a bunch of junk and I don't need that. It's a bunch of steak knife selling preachers just wanting your money. Did you say something like that? Before I came to Christ, I was self-deceived. I happily carried my self-deception to, to others. In Proverbs, all the while the Bible's declaring exactly what is true. There is a way that seems right but I was headed for hell. All the while, the answer was right in the Bible. The school teacher lost her life savings in a business scheme and had been a, uh, uh, that had been elaborately explained to her. And when her investment disappeared, her dream shattered, she went to the Better Business Bureau. And the Better Business Bureau, looking at the situation, said, why didn't you come to us first? I mean, we could have told you about this guy. He's on our list. Don't you know? Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? Didn't you know that there's a place that you could check this out? And she said, oh, yes, I did. I've always known about you. But I didn't come because I was afraid that you would tell me not to do it. You say, that's crazy. But no crazier than someone demanding blood over the Cecil the lion rather than demanding something about Planned Parenthood. The folly of the human nature is even though we know where the answers lie in God's Word, we don't, tell, we don't turn there for fear of what it will tell us. And it is painful what it tells us, right? Do you like to acknowledge that you are a helpless, broken sinner, no hope whatsoever apart from Christ? that you have done wicked from the day that you have been born and that you have nothing to offer God other than a plea for mercy? That's the only way? I mean, nobody, everybody wants to think, I mean, there's got to be some good down inside of me somewhere. And yet, there's nothing good. And the Bible does tell us all about that. And yet it also tells us something much better. Self-deception. We're deceived about who God is. Romans 1.23 says that while God reveals Himself through natural revelation, the depraved human heart deceives itself about who God is. They exchange the truth for a lie. Deceives about whether we're right with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. You could, you could go there. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, in 1 John 1, 5, we lie and do not the truth. It deceives us whether we're right with it. There are people who say they're right with God and yet they, they live in darkness. I read, I can't remember her name now, but I read the testimony of the, of the, of the adulteress 
that was that that exposed Jim Baker. You remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? I know I'm dating some of you. All right, you know she was the Dolly Parton had makeup and of of, of Christianity. Well, Jim Baker's mistress had made the statement that she no longer looks to organize religion for her relationship with God. She has a one-on-one relationship. And God doesn't consider what she's done as wrong because He knows her heart. You can deceive yourself about whether you're right with God, and your heart can deceive you. She probably genuinely believes that. There are people who are practicing Sinners, fill in the blank, drunkard, homosexual, adulterer, all the way down, and probably at some point in your own life where you said, I know I'm doing this, but I'm saved, I'm right with God, everything's okay. And that's the human heart deceiving self. Deceives about who God is, it deceives us about whether we're right with God. You go on in First John, verse verse 8 of chapter 1, deceives us about when we sin. It says, if we say we have no sin. It's possible for us to say we have no sin. That's not sin. I mean, if you understood the circumstances, as God understands the circumstances, He would say that I did no wrong in that case, even though the Bible clearly says that is wrong in that case. So, so, so what's the rule? What you think or what God has said? What I think or what God has said? It's clearly what God has said. And the human heart has the capacity to deceive us about, about when we sin. First John goes on, it says, it deceives us about whether we are sinners. First John 1.10, if we, we say we have not sinned, it's possible to say that we have not sinned. People who declare that. Saw on CNN yesterday, 30 of the most famous atheists in the world and their quotes about God. And these weren't just Richard Dawkins or, or the like. This was you know movie stars and whoever, whoever. And I found it interesting. I guess they ran out of famous people. So about number 28 was Madeline Murray O'Hare. Do you remember her? Do you remember her writings being uncovered after she died, confessing about the darkness and the emptiness in her heart and how she greatly desired to believe that there was a God? Deceives about whether we are sinners. An atheist says, I'm not a sinner. There is no such thing as sin. We're a product of nature. Martin Luther said, I am more afraid of my own heart than the Pope and all of his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope self. The human heart deceives. Outwardly and inwardly. Look at the second declaration. The heart is deceitful. It's deceitful above all. And then he gives the condition. It deceives. What it does, it's deceitful. It's crooked but it's also desperately wicked. It's, it's sick. It's diseased. It's diseased from, from head, to, head to toe. If you would go to the list of the Bible and look at the, what the Bible says about the, the, the disease of the human heart, it says the mind is diseased in Romans 8, 7. Reason is diseased in Ecclesiastes 9, 3. Understanding is diseased in Ephesians 4, 18. It's darkened. The tongue 
is affected by the disease. James, James 3.8, hands are diseased, what they do in Isaiah 59.6. The eyes are diseased in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. They're blind. Ears are diseased, 2 Timothy 4.4. 4. Death to the voice of God. From head to toe, the entire nature of man has been affected by the, by the fall. He says the heart is desperately wicked. It's, it's incurable. Absolutely incurable. There's no hope for it. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't remake the heart that's within you. You need a new heart. I found the evidence of depravity, evidence of original sin being passed on to, to children, proof proven by the property laws of toddlers. All right, here's the property laws of toddlers, and I have one. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number ten, if it's broken, it's yours, right? I mean, you know why we laugh? Because it's absolutely true. You watch a kid and that's there. That's not a product of their education or their environment. It's born in them. It's in their human heart. And this disease is, is incurable. And it defiles us. The heart... Is, has an incurable disease. It's desperately wicked, even from the, the youngest. And that defiles us. Mark seven fifteen through 20, Jesus is questioned by the scribes and the Pharisees about, about the ceremonial washing of hands. And Jesus says, nothing that enters a man defiles him, but it's what comes out that defiles him. Yesterday I was was in the office and I was talking, Wilson Carter and I were talking, and we were talking about chestnut burrs. You remember that? And I used to have a bunch of chestnut trees along my, uh, the creek at my house. And besides uh, being the trees that my mother cut the switches from to use on me as a kid, I used to hate mowing the grass. We had about four to five acres of grass. And these chestnut trees were on a creek bank. And you who have chestnut trees know what they leave. They leave the big burrs. And if if you're playing out there at all, those burrs can get in your feet and they can get in your hands. Even when you would rake them to pick them up so you could walk, um, you know, you, you would have to wear gloves and sometimes they would, they, they would poke through. And I told Wilson, I love chestnuts. I really do. But they're so wormy. And we started talking about how the worm gets in the, in the chestnut. I used to hear you want to make sure you get, the, you get the chestnuts when they first hit the ground because if they lay there too long, they get wormy. But do you know where the worm comes from? It comes from inside the chestnut. You know where worms for apples come from? They don't bury in from the outside. They actually are already in there. The worm comes from the inside. An insect actually lays an egg in the blossom. And then the larva lays dormant until the apple or the chestnut 
forms, and then sometimes later, sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple or in the heart of the chestnut and eats its way out. So when you see wormholes in chestnuts, that's a good thing. Because the, the, the chestnuts that don't have wormholes in them, they're still in there. And you got some added protein. Sin is like a worm. It begins in the heart and works itself out, works its way out through a person's thoughts, words, or actions. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew seven fifteen. It's not what enters a person that defiles them, but what comes out. And what comes out is what's already in there because the heart is deceitful and it is desperately, desperately wicked. It's deadly. It's incurable, it defiles, and it's deadly. The soul that sins, it shall die. I mean, the faith healers have it right that sin is, is what's making you sick and will kill you. Now, their conclusions that they draw from that are, are totally unscriptural. But the Bible says the soul that sins, it, it shall die. And sin is deadly. And it comes from within the heart. I ran across this hilarious story that has a, a powerful point. Few college football... You, you, you turn on the TV, you know, college football's coming up, NFL's coming up, Bailey and I are counting the days, along with when bow season comes around, not Cecil the Lion, but you know, Danny the Deer here in Virginia. Football. There's always scandals, right? Well, one of the ways that uh, coaches deal with that varies, but Eric Russell of Georgia Southern College made it a point to, to deal with drugs with his, with his um, team. And here's what he did. He arranged for a couple of country boys to burst into a routine team meeting and throw a writhing, hissing, six-foot-long rattlesnake onto a table in front of the squad while the team meeting was going on. So you can imagine the coaches in the room, everybody's around, they're doing X's and O's, and all of a sudden the door bursts open, two country boys come in and throw a rattlesnake on the, on the table. This is supposed to be a true story. You can imagine the reaction, everyone screamed and scattered, and I don't know what they did with the rattlesnake, but the coach then said... When cocaine comes into the room, you're not as nearly as apt to leave as when a rattlesnake comes in, but they'll both kill you. What an object lesson. And we do the same thing with sin. We even pick it up sometimes and play with it. But just like the rattlesnake, sin will kill you. Not just physically, but it's already killed your soul. We've got a really bad situation here. You, you can't trust in man. You should trust in God because the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. And, and then, if that wasn't bad enough, look at this final statement. Who can know it? It's a, it's a, rhetorical, it's a rhetorical question. Who can know it? It's, the answer is nobody can. If it's that bad, who can make sense out of it? Who can, who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. You're so diseased, so depraved, so dead, you can't even know your own heart. The heart deceives, it's diseased, and you can't know it. You cannot discern the workings of the heart, oh vanity. 
of vanities. Have you ever tried to make sense out of some of the thoughts that go on in your head? I mean, there are times you think you're crazy, right? I mean, you argue with yourself, and there are some times that the thoughts go on in your head you can't make sense of. You understand exactly what Jeremiah is saying here. You can't put your finger on the issue. You know it doesn't make sense to feel the way that you do or think the way that you do, but you do. And you can get really, really far away. There was a man who asked a rancher how a cow gets lost out west. And here's what the rancher replied. Well, the cow starts nibbling on a tuft of green grass, and when it finishes, it looks ahead to the next tuft of green grass and starts nibbling on that one. Then it nibbles, nibbles on a, a tuft of grass right next to a hole in the fence. And it sees another tuft of gra- green grass on the other side of the fence, so it nibbles on that one and then goes to the next tuft. And the next thing you know, the cow has nibbled itself into being lost. And Jeremiah says that you're so lost, you can't even know where you're at, how you got there, or even what to do about it. You ever been there? Are you lost? Do you know where you're even at at the moment? You may not know, but I've got good news for you. Look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind. God says you may not know, but He knows. He knows. He knows where you're at. He knows every single tuft of grass that you ate to get from point A to point B. He knows how to seek you. He knows how to find you. And he knows how to, to bring you home. In a world that is filled with, with madness, why are people really this crazy? Yes, they are this crazy. But so are you if you're without Christ. And so were you before you came to Christ. Because your heart deceives inwardly and outwardly It is diseased, it is incurable, it is deadly, and you can't even discern it. But the Lord can. And in one verse, you see the hopeless condition, and in the next verse, you find that there is hope. Now, look at the last part of verse 10. There is a glimmer of hope in the first part. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Okay, now I'm hopeless again (laughs) because I don't want the fruit of my own ways or the fruit of my doings because I know what I've done. Drop down to verse 14. Jeremiah prays for deliverance. So here is Judah's sin and punishment. Don't trust in man, trust in the Lord because of the condition of man's heart. And where do you turn? Same place Jeremiah turns. Verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. 
You are my hope in the day of doom. Let them be ashamed who persecute me. Do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed. Do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destruction. Them with double destruction. So where do you go? To the Lord. And you say, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. The same thing that Paul did, the same thing that, that I did. Jesus can give you a new heart. He can make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. I you to bow your heads if you would. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Jay Bridges, in the pursuit of holiness, quoted W.S. Plummer about sin. He says, We never see sin aright until we see it against God. All sin is against God in that sense. This is what I found interesting about this quote. Listen. Pharaoh, Balaam, Saul, and Judas each said, I have sinned. But the returning prodigal said, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You see the difference? You may be here without Christ and you say, I know I've done wrong things. That's not the same as repenting and confessing and saying, I have sinned against you, God, and you alone. And that's the place that you have to start if you sin, you see that it's against God. And then you cry out to Him, Create in me a new heart, Lord. Repent and believe. If you're a believer, ask the Lord to renew your mind. And He will. Where is there healing? It's in the Lord. Where is there salvation? It's in the Lord. You remember that whenever you're trying to make sense out of the world. And you remember that whenever you have the opportunity to share with someone. They're without hope, but there's hope in Jesus and in Him alone. Father, as we come before You and we see, again, the picture of our human heart, and we see the hope that is in Christ, I pray, Lord, for every person that's here this morning that is outside of Christ, I pray that they would move from not just saying, I've done wrong things, but to see it as sinning against you so that they could fly to the Savior and be forgiven. Jesus has paid it all. He's a friend of sinners. And I pray, Father, that this morning, that they would say, create in me a new heart, a clean heart, and that you'd make them a new creation. Father, for us who are believers, help us to not play with rattlesnakes, to not get our doctrine and our theology from unbelievers, from CNN or Fox News or whoever it is, but that we would get the truth and how to interpret things through the Word. And that you would sanctify our minds, that we might think rightly. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.